Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Dana Osman, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Sukkah, daf Lamed Gimel, page 33. I'd like today's daf because it sort of asks an existential question about mitzvot and the circumstances under which we perform them. The Gemara goes back to the Mishnah that we were discussing about Hadas, about the myrtle branch, and says the following, Niktam Rosho, right? If the top of the myrtle branch is cut off, it would not be considered to be kosher, it would be pasol. Tani Ula Barchinana. So Ula Barchinana says, Niknam Rosho Baltabo Tamara Kasher. Let's say the top of the, of the hadas, of the myrtle branch, was cut off, but some type of berry grew there in the place. Then it would be considered to be kosher because the berry sort of filled this top void and the branch no longer appears to be Niktam. It doesn't appear to have this top that's severed. Bai Rabbi Yermia. So Rabbi Yirmiya asked the following, Niktam rosho me'erev yom tov, ba'atabo t'mara b'yom tov. So let's say you have your nice, you know, myrtle branch, and the top of it gets cut off on Erev Chag. And lo and behold, you wake up on a yom tov morning, you have a Chag miracle happen, and there's a berry there, it grew in place. And according to Ula Barchanina, you could actually use it, it's kosher. And so Rabbi Yirmiya basically wants to ask, What's the halakha? If right before Yom Tov it was not kosher, and now in the first day of Yom Tov it is kosher, macher. And the existential question here is, yesh dichui eitzel mitzvot, olo. Is there disqualification with regard to mitzvot or not? In other words, can something, when we say that this hadas was not kosher, was pasul before the chag began, does halakha say that it basically is permanently pasul? Or do we allow for some flu, flu, fluidness or fluidity, I guess is the right word here that I'm looking for, um, in circumstances that then we would say, oh, you can go from kasher to pasul, but just as easily you can go from pasul to, to, to kasher again. And, to, you know, and that's essentially, this is the existential question here that's on this staff that appears in Amadalaf and Amadet. I'm obviously not going to get to read all of these questions, you know, all of the Gemarana, we'll just read a little bit more, but I love this question of yeshti hui etzel mitzvot or low, right? Is something once it qual- disqualified, permanently disqualified? Or do we say that in halakha, there's no such thing as a permanent disqualification? So if you have this miracle happen that this berry grows overnight, great, your hadas sort of fixed itself and now it would be considered to be kosher. And so the Gemara here wants to sort of try to resolve this by bringing another Mishnah. And this was also interesting to me to see what parallel, right? This is a typical Gemara strategy. Let's see if we can find a parallel from another area of Halakha. So let's see if we can resolve this from that, what we learned in a Mishnah. And so here what we're talking about is in a case where somebody slaughtered a non-domesticated animal or a bird, and there's an obligation to cover up the blood. You can't just leave the blood sort of pooled on the ground. You actually have to cover it up. Kisahu benitzgala. So let's say you covered up the blood and then it was uncovered. So you, the person who did the covering is exempt from having to cover it a second time because he, he covered it up. So if somebody came and then un, you know, dug up the dirt and uncovered that pool of blood, that person isn't obligated to cover it again. He did what he needed to do. Okay. Um, let's say the wind came and blew out, you know, the dirt that you used to cover that, that pool of blood 
you are chayav to actually go back. You aren't obligated to go back and cover it again. But I'm a rabbi, so that's the that's you know th- that's the first part there. But I'm a rabbi barchana. I'm a rabbi yochanan. So rabbi bar barchana says the name of rabbi yochanan. Lo shanu elishachazar benitzgalah, about lo chazar benitzgalah patur milichso. So he says they taught that he has to go back and cover the blood after the wind, right? Only if the blood was exposed. But let's say it wasn't exposed. He doesn't have to go back and do anything. It's only if the wind came and really exposed the blood. But if it was, the wind was there and some of the dirt was moved, but you didn't really see the blood itself, you don't have to go back and re-put more dirt there. So how does this apply to our case? right? When we discuss this issue, when it was then exposed, why does he have to go back and cover it a second time? Right? Once it was disqualified, it remained disqualified. In other words, when the wind covered the blood, right, he was exempt from, so in other words, now we're talking about a different case. Let's say the wind came itself and covered the blood. Sorry, I didn't explain this well. The wind came and covered the blood, right? He doesn't have to go back and actually cover the blood, right? So if that's the case, even if the blood then becomes uncovered, he still should remain pator. Why would he still then have to go back and cover the blood in that case? But I'm a Rav Papa, Zoto Merit, Ain Dichoy Eitzel Mitzvot. So Rav Papa says that means that there's no actual disqualification when it comes to mitzvot. Meaning, once the cause of that exemption, in other words, that the wind covered the blood, but then it was uncovered. And again, once that, so then that exemption is no longer there. In other words, let's say you, you have the blood on the ground. And then lo and behold, the wind by itself covered it up with dirt. So he's exempt from having to go ahead and cover the blood. But then if he, um, but then if he, if the, you know, but then let's say it becomes uncovered again, right? So that exemption is, uh, you know, one, it's no longer there anymore, right? Then he actually has to go back and he has to fulfill this mitzvah. And so what we're going to say is, is that, you know, uh, right, so what Papa is saying here is, is that maybe there's a disqualification when it comes to, you know, what we're talking here is about korbanot with offerings and things like that, but not with other mitzvot. And so Rabbi Yirmiya's, you know, sort of question that he brings, okay, you know, is actually resolved. So in other words, what Papa is saying is this case of the blood, that's a totally separate thing. But when it comes to a mitzvah, right? which is what we're talking about with the Hadas, maybe there isn't Dichoy, right? But when we're talking about this case with, you know, having to cover up the blood and maybe that's a special set of circumstances, then, you know, once the exemption passes, yeah, you would have to actually go back and do it again. So Rapapa Gufa Mibayle. So Rapapa, right, his resolution with this, right, um, he gets this from, you know, from Rav Yirmiya's actually question. And so what they want to say is it's obvious to Rav Papa that based on this discussion with the blood, that there seems to be no disqualification with mitzvot, right? with mitzvot, And there's no difference whether it leads to a leniency Right, the case of the leniency would be with the hadas branch, where when the top is cut off, right, you can't use it. But then if the berry grows, so we're going to be make elm say, great, now you can use it. And there's no difference whether it leads to astringency, right? 
with the case of the blood where originally it's covered up by the wind, but then it gets uncovered and now you got to go back and cover it. So that's the Khumra. Or perhaps, right, Oduma Sapuke Mispikele. Maybe the Tano taught that mission was uncertain. And when it leads to a Khumra, right, the, you know, then we say, right? But when it comes to Lakula, when it comes to the case of the Merlot branch, we're not going to use this. And then we're going to end with our famous Teku. We're not really sure. So the question is, can we learn or really draw a parallel from these two cases? Or do we say one is Lakula, one is Lakumra? And therefore, we can't really draw any type of parallel between them themselves. So, you know, we're not going to get to all of this, you know, that's on this page itself. But I just think the beginning, you know, just to think about this as an overall question, when something becomes disqualified, does it always remain disqualified? Or do we allow for, you know, circumstances to change? And can that change the disqualification? Um, And I think this is just a great, you know, question, like, does time matter? Do circumstances actually matter? And here, at least this small passage that I read, we end with a take. We're not actually sure how we should think about this, right? Is it Lakula or Lakumra? Does that impact it? Maybe that doesn't impact it. But I think it's just a great question that the Gemara is trying to work through in itself. So I'm going to pick up on the same question of the timing of it, right? The <clears throat> where where the timing of whether something is disqualified um, makes a difference, or or how timing may make a difference. Um, I want to also just comment on this. Um, you mentioned these berries, right? We're talking about hadasim, hadasim have berries. The myrtle branch has berries. And the position of the Gemara seems pretty clear, right? That the the once you've got berries, you've got dihui, you have a disqualification. And the question is, why would these berries be a disqualification to begin with? Meaning, why can't you take Hadassim that have berries on them as part of your Dalaminim, it's part of the same species, right? Like it should be fine. Or you could argue that it should be fine. And it seems, at least the commentaries that I saw, seem to say that it seems to be bothered by the fact that the berries are a different color. And that changes the appearance. And that is the negative here. So that by itself, I thought to be interesting that, you know, in terms of why would something disqual, why would the berries that are natural growth of the plant? itself why would that be the disqualification or a disqualification okay the gemara goes back to the mishnah and cites it you know to to comment on it if you diminish the number it's still kasher what does it mean so the gemara says well when did you diminish the number excuse me Pshita, if you diminish the number, if you use less, fewer, right, and you do it before you bound the lulav to begin with, then it's obvious that it's kasher, meaning because you haven't bound it together to be a... Of the species that you put together. But after you bound them together, well, in that case, what you're doing is... um. It says here, the chui mi'ikara, it's a disqualification from the outset. Meaning, from the outset is a different kind of disqualification, apparently. So the Gemara says straight up, you know, don't consider a dichui mi'ikara, a disqualification for the outset, 
it's not a permanent disqualification. So that speaks to the question, your Dana, that you've raised, that there certainly are cases where once you've got a disqualification, it doesn't mean it's forever because it depends when and how it happened to begin with, except for the fact that the Gemara says no. The Olam Batar Agdai, you know, in the in the event that the disqualification, I'm sorry, that the, you're reducing the number after you've bound it, because Savar Eged love Klumhu. So the Gemara says, look, we've got a case here where you diminish the number of berries after you've bound it. You're taking the berries off, right? And it's after they've already been bound together. And instead of saying that this is Duchoba Alma, this is where they say, he's, he holds Eged Hasmanaba Alma, the binding um, um, is, so according to this view, right, the binding is not what makes these three species bound together into a mitzvah. Rather, it's saying these three things are being used for mitzvah, meaning it's just a designation. Like the difference between, let's see, if the binding turns the three species that are bound together into the mitzvah item, or is it just saying, okay, we have intent to use those for the mitzvah? The How how much does that binding accomplish, really? And if the claim is, and this is what the claim is here, that it's just designating it, then the fact that you've got more berries than leaves, it doesn't matter anymore at this time. And removing them is not, it, the the, the number of berries there is not a disqualification from the outset, at all, because binding isn't changing the nature of these three items put together. Now, I've just presented this all in the order that the Gemara presents it to begin with, and I'm thinking that if I were organizing this, I might do it. Meaning, if I were if I were organizing it from a, a halachic point of view, right, as opposed to the way the Gemara arrives at its conclusions, I would start with the discussion of Dichoi Alma to begin with. Um, but the Gemara isn't following that rationale. Okay. And then the Gemara continues, and it's again what I said, it's talking about timing. You may not diminish the number, the number of berries, on Yantif. Ha avar ol katan mai kasher de ashkor emat. So where says, well, okay, if you um, violated the ha avar, if you violated the prohibition, meaning you picked them to begin with on Yantif, right? You've dealt with this in a way that was not okay. But what's the halacha now? Do you have a do you have a hadas that's fine? Is the is the branch itself okay, or is it not kosher? So the gemara says ha'avar v'laktan my kasher dashkor emat. So first it says it's fine, but then the gemara says, well, but when? When did they become the berries? Part of the problem here is when I, as I said above, the berries are a disqualifier in part, perhaps because of the color change, because they aren't because they are different from the green, right? And this is a discussion that we both didn't talk about it, really. That the, if they're red, if they turn black, um, this is the nature of the berries of the Hadass. And then the question is, well, when did they turn black? If you say, if they turn black from before they ever came into being as part of these you know, species that you're going to take that day, so then it's a, it's a disqualification from, from the outset, which means that they were not okay to begin with for the for the Chag, meaning you had Puzzle Hadassim to begin with, and just, you know that it's not a permanent disqualification. Take off the berries and you should be good to go. 
And again, the claim is that if you have um, a dakhoi ba'alma, it's not permanent, right? You can still fix it, so to speak. Um, not so to speak, you can fix it. However, if they turn black on Yantav itself, and that's the day that he picked them, near eh, beneath Chehu, then in that case, you've got a disqualification. So the Gemara says, conclude from that, right? You can learn from this that something that was kosher and then was disqualified, and then it can go back to being kosher again, which answers, and this I find fascinating in your data, it answers the teku, right? It's nearly never that we end up with, I don't know, nearly never. It seems to me that in our experience of teku, we don't come back then and argue against the teku. But here seems to be a counterexample that says, yes, yeah, sometimes anyway, it'll be the case that the that which was disqualified is then rendered kosher again. Except for, and this is why it goes back to the teku. And uh, again, I'm following through the Gemara's rationale here. Really, we're talking about a case where the berries were black from the outset, meaning before Yantif. So then it was always... Um, the the disqualification was from beforehand, from the outset, and it's not considered a chui. Tifshot mina, aval nira v'nit chechuzir v'nira lo tifshot, which means that you can go the something that is disqualified in the outset is not a permanent disqualification, but you can't claim then that something which was disqualified then became kosher because we're talking about two different kinds of disqualifications. Again, specifically, it seems to me to be dependent on the timing, right? When does it become disqualified? If it's disqualified before Yantif begins altogether, you can fix it. Um, and not because you've rendered something that was disqualified kosher, but because always dachui ba'alma, no, dachui mi'ikara is not a permanent status. Okay, now, there's just a little bit more here to finish up. So the Chazal say, there's a bright here, right? We say you cannot diminish the number of berries on Yantif itself for the sake of making it fit. Meaning you could have done it before Yantif started, but not once Yantif begins. Except for that, Rabbi Lezer, in the name of Rabbi Shimon, say, you can. Yes, you can. So again, I have this like whiplash on the difference of, of you know, prohibited, accepted. Yes, do it. No, don't do it. The Gemara then says, one second, aren't you then being matakain? Aren't you fixing something on Yantav itself? Meaning by taking something that was dachoy, to say that something was unfit and turning it into something that is fit, even if it's something you could do before Yantav, how can you be doing that on Yantav? Aren't you just violating the, you know, malacho to begin with, the, the prohibitions against malacho on Yantav? What if you picked your myrtles here, you picked the berries for the sake of, you picked the branches with the berries for the sake of eating them. And now we are into the category, into the whole realm of malacho discussion, right? We're we're entering the territory of Ilchot Shabbat, except for in this case it's Ilchot Yom Tov, right? And the discussion is then the Rebbe Lezer, who's the son of Rebbe Shimon, says that Davar She'en Mekavein 
something that is unintentional, that you didn't mean to do it in this way, is permitted on Shabbos to begin with. Specifically, meaning if your intent is to eat the berries, then the fact that you, you know, along the way got a hadas out of it for your dalad minim, for your arba minim, is meaning you have yes you have fixed the the hadas you fixed the myrtle branch by plucking the berries but you took the berries for an intent of wanting to eat them as opposed to for the sake of fixing the myrtle branch so therefore according to this view meaning again this is Rabbi Shimon's position here brought in the name of Rabbi Lezer, his son um, so then then in this category of Hilchot Shabbat again Hilchot Yom Tov that with is permitted, which is not across the board, right? Meaning this is where we've always had this tension between something that is unintentional and something which is intentional. And the Gemara points this out. That Rabbi Shim, Abai and Rava both point out, and this is in the context of Hilchot that Rabbi Shimon agreed that if you cut off the head of a chicken, this is the classic, famous, famous case of psychratia, that if you cut off the head of a chicken, you know, won't it die? Meaning you might want it not to die, but it doesn't matter the unintentional um, event that happens by doing the intentional part is still going to happen. Even if you want them for food, your hadassim are still going to become fit, right? And so there, you know, again, there we're talking about um, where the the prohibited result is inevitable, meaning that the killing the chicken, right, is inevitable. The death is inevitable. Um, so that's why you would say the psychiatry there is going to be prohibited, at least under most most circumstances. And in this case, when we're talking about picking up the berries, right, for food, you can't claim that you didn't intend for the myrtle to become okay, right? Meaning you know it's going to be you know, you're going, you know, that you're turning the myrtle into something that could be used. So, isn't that the same problem of this chicken? And then, um, the Gemara, it's a little bit of a, an interesting wiggle out of it, I would say. The Gemara concludes by saying, if, if you have another hadas, then you don't have to worry. Then you could just talk about the berries and you don't have to worry about the fact that you're coming to prepare the branch. But if you don't, then it's very clear. That, or even if you don't know anything about it, what you're going to be doing there is preparing the hadas. Um, and I would say this claim, this the Gemara tweak of, oh, but you have another one, changes the whole scenario and brings me back to this question of, okay, but when are you doing this? Or rather, under what circumstances are you doing this to to establish um, is the backdrop something that's permitted or that's going to allow it for you, or is the backdrop a problem to begin with? It's something that you cannot fix because you're 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 violating yentif in this case, you know, independent of the question of um, the 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 disqualification to begin with. What I didn't get here is why did the issue of mitzvah hababa avera not come up? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, let's clarify, right? You're saying that because the hadas would not have been kosher without the the plucking of the berries, right? Which itself can be an aver of Shabbos. 
then the only way you get a kosher thing would be a Baba Vera. Right. That's what I'm saying. So I just don't understand, like, you know, you would it's interesting to see that at the mitzvah Baba Vera, the classic example of it is with the guzzle, right? That you did, you know, you, you did a bad thing to, in order you you stole your lulav. But you know, I feel like for the contemporary uh modern day person who observes halakha this to me feels like much more modern. Like you did something you weren't supposed to do on, on Chag or Shabbat. Can you still use that item? Like you cook something the way you weren't supposed to cook it. So it's just interesting to me that that halakhic category of mitzvah hababa veira doesn't, is not, you know, sort of brought up in those types, types of circumstances, even though, again, as the 21st century person reading Gemara, it would seem to be that that would sort of be like where you would apply it. But it doesn't seem to be applied there. I'm just asking. I wonder. I, no, I think it's a great question. I I wonder if it isn't because we've got this machloket from Rabbi Shimon or Rabbi Lazar, but Rabbi Shimon to begin with. Which once you've got a position that says, "Well, that should be fine," it's hard to say that it's hababa vera. I'm I'm hypothesizing. I'm not. It's not be you know as a possibility. Yeah, uh, no, I I like that. It's an interesting idea. Um, but, you know, I just think it was great to see sort of how some of these, uh, I think today we saw some halacha concepts that we're going to consider, we, we will continue to see throughout the Gemara and just, you know, sort of to track in our, you know, the little corner of our brains, where else we're going to see some of these uh, appear again and under what circumstances. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us views on all major podcasts. Thank you to Robin E. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.